So, Dave, how was your week? My week was awesome. Yeah. And really, uh, as, as all weeks are, all busy, weeks. Um, yeah. fulfilling, reward, exhausting. But uh, no, I started off with a good week. Um, I have Mondays off, which is nice. But those Mondays are often spent doing, every Monday. Uh, it's a it's a good it's a good kept secret, but yeah, mostly Mondays off. But I do a lot of work from home. I went to the yeah. office. We had a little meeting about different things, um, whether it was some COVID vaccine stuff, uh, COVID related stuff in general, uh, just uh, office topics. But um, but then my my real week starts on Tuesday. You know, with uh, with uh, patients in, in the office. And it's just been busy. It's been good. You know, I home home is busy, but office is is busy, but uh, refreshing sometimes. So. I think what patients don't realize that outside of face-to-face time, we spend enormous amount of time, right? I mean, for record keeping, for example, do you bring your laptop into a encounter? Yeah. So, you know, we don't, a lot of us don't do the charts anymore, right? Yeah. And a part of, part of my main accent as we, as we all get used to this, but we don't have paper charts anymore, right? It's all, um, it's all electronic medical records, and I have a laptop. We all have laptops that we carry in, into yeah. the office with us, which I, I kind of like. But it's how about yourself? What, what do you do? I mean, I chart after, so I don't bring a laptop into the room. Yeah, I feel that for 15, 30 minutes they have with me, yeah. I need to stare into their eyes, yeah. and like just you're the doing, opp- like you're doing right now. I like to I'm it's doing very soothing. Too. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't do that, but yeah. then there's then you got to document everything. Yeah. So I think that's what makes medicine hard. Yeah. Because patients want to be heard. Yeah. They want to be looked at. Yeah. Listen to. But we have to document everything, yeah. right? And they know they well, they want you to know that you're listening to them, right? Exactly. So I think there's an art there, um, in terms of like for myself, it's actually beneficial for me to have the laptop in front of me because I can check things as I go. I can update myself on different problems and, you know, updating medicines and checking past reports and whatnot. Um, and also I can document while I'm in the room. I think there's a, again, there's a, there's a new an art to being able to walk out of that visit and be done mostly, right? So you can send your, this is my office. We send out orders to our nurses as we're in the room, immunizations. Mm. Um, we print out forms for our patients, which, you, you know, it's printing up a lot of school forms for your right. patients um, or miss school, you know, letters. Uh, so, so we have the, the laptop with this, but it's, it's important to be able to make eye contact, to type what you need to type, and to not be distracted so you're, so you're not having the interaction. So for you, I bet it works really well. For me, I need it's like nothing you need a drink in your hand at all yeah. times, right? But it's nice to have that laptop in front yeah. of you. In the old days, we'd have a chart on all that. Right. Did, you use, did you use the chart in the room or did you not chart in the room with paper? With I paper never chart? did. Even really? paper, yeah. That's, wow. Yeah, you are, you are an anomaly, Dr. Chen. Well, it's yeah. just... My office will tell you otherwise, but I never did. But for me, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll pull up a, if, uh, uh, on the topic, I might pull up a quick YouTube video, or yeah. an old, an old yeah. um, music video from the 80s to show a patient or something fun. So I think you can use the laptop as a tool, yeah. but, but you, but as, but you don't want it to take away from your interaction. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. So I, I, I use videos for procedures. Yeah. So like robotic hysterectomy, I show videos yeah. from one of my procedures and yeah. tell them this is how it's done. Yeah. But I think the bottom line is though, the, the time that is required outside of face-to-face time, it's enormous. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Um, it's huge. And, and then of course there are phone calls we have to deal with, right? So I, I'm sure that one day you're off. It's not really off because you don't shut your phone off, right? You're yeah. not at a golf course or or no. are you at a golf? You you play golf? I do golf. Um, yeah. I don't golf a lot. Not on Mondays. No, I don't. I haven't golfed in at least a year or so, um, especially due to the pandemic. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a once a week golfer yet. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever be. Yeah. Well, with all the you stuff probably play, you probably play a little tennis, don't you? I don't really 
Soccer was your game, right? Long time ago. Yeah, but now it's work, kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. what we're doing right now work, is kids, what, family, repeat. That's right. Yeah. I mean, your work was busy. I, what's today, Wednesday? Yes, it is. It's a blur. Blur. I haven't been home since I left, I think, Sunday. I can really live out of my car for like a week. I carry my all my undergarments, toiletry, and all that. And I just had like deliveries after deliveries. After tonight, I'm going to go home. Hmm. But um, you know, there is such a thing as a call room, right? Do you have a call yeah, room somewhere? We have a call room which is two floor at Winchester Hospital. Yeah. Our call room is two floors above the labor and delivery, mm -hmm. and it's kind of remote. No one's there. It's almost like Friday the thirteenth or Halloween. Yeah. You know, yeah. murder coming out. <laughs> but um, you know, some places lie down for a few minutes. Yeah. But it's been a busy week, and. This morning, I had a, I had one of those moments where it was a patient that I delivered. This is the second child, um, second newborn for this particular patient, and she's a nurse, and she did great. You know, she um, and the baby's head was about to crown, and usually at that moment, I had them just stop, let that hmm. perineum stretch, and I was talking to charge nurse, and we were just staring at that baby's head, which is hmm. about to come out, and say, "Wow, holy smoke!" Hmm. Look at that. Yeah. That moment. Yeah. It's so amazing. How long you, how long you been doing this for? 31 years. And it's still exciting for you. Still, still pretty cool, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and if, if it's a new patient, I always tell the same story. I tell this story that uh, when I was an intern at Boston City Hospital that summer, first week where I had to do a delivery, where I was all gowned up and I was about to do a delivery, and back then, you know, as you may recall, we didn't really get much instructions from upperclassmen or attendings. You were thrown into a room and do what you have to do. I was ready. I was masked, you know, hat and everything and ready for that excitement, nervous as hell. And the father of the baby goes, so doc, how long you been doing this? Hmm. And luckily I was all covered up except for my eyes and I'm looking away from him and staring at my nurse, begging for that hand, help me, help yeah, me. And yeah. she said two words, long enough. Yeah. And know. I tell this story to almost every delivery mm. if I have a chance to you know, repeat that. But no, it doesn't get old. That's great. Yeah. Hopefully you don't repeat it for the second or third child of the past. We, we heard that story before already. <laughs> I right? know. Like, yeah. well, I said, well, Chun's getting old. That's yeah. why. There you go. So... And then I, well, what exciting news do you have this week about anything in medicine, pediatrics, medicine, other than vaccine? Anything you want to talk about? Um, I don't know if there's any groundbreaking stuff coming out, except for I think the vaccine is huge that, yeah. they, that they went down to age 11 and uh, 12, excuse me. And I know that Moderna right now, Pfizer is, the Pfizer vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine is approved down to age 12 and under the EUA emergency authorization and we're now Moderna is looking at that as well. I actually have two patients in my office, one seven, one two, who are enrolled in the Pfizer study right now. Oh my God. Can cool. you is there any way for my twin boys to enroll? How do I do that? I can send you some information once we're done. Perfect. Because um, I was thinking about having my nine year old do it. Yeah. And, just, and as, as think about this is you know, so we're comfortable doing that. Yeah. And and, and it really sounds like if your providers, like your pediatricians, your family practitioners, your internists, your OBGYNs, um, are comfortable with this vaccine, it's a huge, powerful tool to encourage people to get it. And I I tell people if that vaccine was available right now to age down to age two, yeah, and I had a two year old, 
I give it to them. Yep. And so my, I was thinking about having my daughter go into the trials, yeah. but she's going to camp. Um, it didn't happen last year, so she wouldn't be able to get her two shots apart. Right. So that's a downfall for that. But she'll have a good time at camp. No, but yeah, so I think that's big news on the horizon. And the other big news on the horizon is that this vaccine may be available soon down to age two by the end of the summer or fall, which I thought was going to be age six to 11. Just mm -hmm. usually how they break things up. But I think that's really, really big. Really big. Still the number one question, right? What's vaccine. That? Yeah. And what? With, um, I mean, when, when someone delivers... And yeah. they come to your office and say, hey, doc, I waited until, you know, until I deliver. Here I am, my newborn. I haven't even, have not been vaccinated. Mm. Should I? I mean, they ask me the same question, but well, that's they want to. That's a big question for me. I'll throw it right back at you first. I mean, so you, you predate me, right, with these with these infants yeah. that are coming to me. So you're seeing the, the the moms, right? So that's the big question is should you get it, you know, during pregnancy? And, and if, I tell them yes. Yeah. Do, you have tell any, them. do you have any reservations of when they get it? No. Great. No, yeah. they should get it if they are, you know, just had an ultrasound that confirms pregnancy at seven yeah. weeks yeah. versus about to deliver next week. Yeah. Breastfeeding, yeah. I think you should get it. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, the answer is yes, you know, and I, and, and, and I, and I explain to people, you know, why I feel that way and um, what information that we know and, you know, the, the organizations that we belong to, like ACOG for you and the, and the uh, AAP for me, American Academy of Pediatrics, you know, the, the recommendations, the CDC, and you know, I'm very, very comfortable with this vaccine now. And I think it's, a, I think, yeah, I, I promote it. Uh, I promote getting it. You know, yeah. I, I respect people don't want to get it. I totally respect that. But I really feel it's a safe vaccine and, uh, and yeah, I recommend it. So, yeah, if they had it down to age whatever right now, I'd do it. But I think you're right. Like one of the big questions that we hear on both sides, right, if I'm, you know, will it give my baby protection when they're born? And the answer is we're seeing yes. And parents, uh, moms who are breastfeeding, it, we definitely know that some antibodies are excreted in the breast milk. So there's definitely some benefit there. I don't think that's a reason that you have to uh, get it or that you have to breastfeed. But it's definitely a um, you know a powerful reason, you know, a, a byproduct of getting the vaccination. And, it's, and, and we can talk about patient populations a lot, you know, you know, different high risk groups, you know, and what we know in adults and kids and, and pregnant women, but for pregnancy, right, it's that that's a high risk uh, category. And I mean, we, we live through H1N1, right? Yeah, and that was that was crazy. Yeah, that was crazy for for pregnant moms. Yeah. You know, and this is a similar thing in a way, most are gonna be fine. But if you can protect yourself, get the vaccine. Yeah. How about you? Any big news on the uh, on your front? Um, Nothing much, except that it is interesting. 2020, in this country, we had the lowest absolute number of birth since 1979. Hmm. 3.7 million birth. But in this area, no, it's, numbers are it's up. Crazy. It's Winchester busy. Hospital, I think they're going to do 15, 20% more than last year. So Why? I don't really What's know. Your theory? Yeah. I don't really know. Yeah, when COVID hit, people were saying, "Oh, there's going to be a baby boom in nine months, right?" And then the 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 the, the thinking people, the experts, said, "No, during stressful times, that doesn't happen, right?" And then um, we we had like a little bump, no no pun intended, yeah, from your point of view of um, <laughs> of uh, babies, like around I say you can confirm this or not around March April, and then right now they are just coming fast and furious. And uh, I think the summer is going to be really busy. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. Uh, what's really interesting too, um, as it goes on a segue, is parents who've had infants this past year, you know, and their kids haven't left the home really, or they haven't been, you know, not that you need to, or, but they haven't gone to daycare, you know, they haven't been exposed to a lot of stuff. And this is going to be a very interesting time for people as we come out of this pandemic, 
um, having infants, um, or, you know, one, one and two year olds who really haven't been exposed to much and getting out there and what we're going to see from that, you know, you know, um, there are many patients like new patients in 2020. I've never seen them without masks. Yep. So now I'm, I visit them during postpartum visit and I have mm-hmm. to do a double take because I'm not sure if it's my patient yep. because I've always seen them with masks on. Yep. So it is, it is a very strange time, but overall, I think it's, it's a process. I tell patients that, yes, it's very stressful time, but if you really think about the whole past century, half century, people have lived through a lot worse. Mm. And it's just different time. Yep. You know, with, with um, technology we have, maybe it's, it's a negative thing because we find out about everything yeah. right away. Yep. So maybe it's not helping dealing with anxiety. But <laughs> overall, I think people are enjoying that what you had mentioned, the kids are not seeing anyone, but they're being raised by their parents yeah. almost like in old days, you know, yeah. you just stay home. And so it's a new thing for many people. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because you know, I, I tell people like in the old days, right? And I'm not sure how, how we got, how far we go back, but there was a community there, right? You had fa- especially family, you know, you know, close knit family close by. And now in this day and age where there's a lot of um, people traveling or, you know, moving different parts of the country or the world, you don't always have the extended family nearby. So you would think too, like during this time, one, one benefit was when you had a baby, you know, or you had a young, a young child, you know, both parents often were home for the past year. And yeah. what, what kind of, I mean, that's, a, that's a, I wish we didn't have to get this positive secondary gain, such an awful, you know, 14, 15 months. But how cool was it to be home with your child that much one-on-one, which, you know, at times got a little stressful. Um, but the downside was, you know, with the with the um, extended family, like the grandparents, you couldn't see them, right. which was tough. So it was like right. this catch-22. Right. You could be home, but you couldn't see your family. So now we're coming out of that, which is really nice. And I, I, I'm, I, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall for a lot of these families, which are definitely probably a month or so into this already, seeing their grandchildren for the yeah. first time or seeing their relatives. It's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. You know, we live in a really big country. Population of what 340 million, and we're the third most, third highest when it comes to population in the world. But with the country being so big, when I look at a lot of my Im- immigrant patients, where they still have are able to maintain their nuclear family. Yeah. So a lot of um, yeah. immigrants that kind of live either in the same household or um, nearby, and I see that because of this pandemic, many of um, like a lot of my Indian patients when they're babies. The parents or in-laws come over to stay with them for weeks and months. Now they can't, yep. and they don't know what to do, and and it's a huge struggle for some of our patients. You know, you see that, right? That's you nailed it. That's a great. That's a great point. In in all the extended family couldn't travel. Yeah. Then some of them were able to come over in a nice way. They couldn't leave. Yeah. Which is yeah. Good. You know, like I, the, but yeah, different cultures, different ethnic backgrounds. There's definitely that extended family makes that trip, and they're there for a while. I remember one time in my office. I had a new baby, a mom and a dad in there, the mom's mother and the mom's mother's mother in the room. So I had four generations. Wow. And they were from India in the room to me. And that's that's pretty cool. You know, pretty, yeah. Pretty cool. But that was tough last year. And hopefully we can get back to that. Yeah. Hey, um, I've been wanting to talk about circumcision. Well, that makes one of us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, first of all, the way the prenatal t- test is done by 12 week ish mm-hmm. because of the blood test, 
you know, most people do gender reveal and they find out what they're having. And it, did you do gender reveals? I, I never, I mean, not gender reveals. No. Did, did you know? Not gender reveals because we weren't, we, we, A, there wasn't the, the internet back then, right? When we were having kids, not to date I, ourselves. I'm, but I'm Korean. Yeah. I, firstborn has to be a boy. <laughs> so, so when is, when, you know, when, um, the, my wife was pregnant, I remember at Boston City Hospital, even though machine was really crude, yeah. this is 97, um, I was trying to ask, you know, ask her, can I just scan you one more time? I studied around 12 weeks just hmm. to see if I can catch something in between. Hmm. But I knew we were having a boy. Hmm. Um, didn't you? Um, oh, yeah. So we knew. Yeah. But I was just happy to know. I didn't really care what it was. Yeah. Like what it was. Um, I was happy that everything looked like that. That skin looked okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> of course, that's gonna be, we can talk about this too at some point. It's a little, little dicey when they're throwing out different measurements and, and yeah. numbers at you and get very nervous when you're sitting there with a the tech. Um, right. And when, especially when they leave and say, I'll be right back with the doctor. Um, but yeah, we knew what we were having. But, you know, I, I just, it was fun to know. Fun yeah. To know. Yeah. So we had, so I, so I have three girls. So I never had a, yeah, really you have dive, three girls, no boy. Three girls, no boy. So I never had dive into the circumcision topic, but let's go, let's do it. So I mean, I have four boys, and I don't remember how the first one. I don't even know if I was involved with the decision making. Hmm. I mean, I probably was asked, and I said okay, whatever. But um, for Koreans, it is. I think Korea has a very unique history when it comes to circumcision. So until 1945, when the World War II ended, Japan surrenders in August of August 15th of 1945, and then soon after, U.S. occupies South Korea and Russians and Chinese North Korea. Until then, no Korean boys were circumcised. Hmm. None. Then, to until recently per capita, more Korean boys were circumcised than any other nation. That's called Uncle Sam's influence. Mm. And I read an article where looking at Korean internet sites, almost all of them, like 97%, are pro-circumcision. And only about 3% really kind of brings up this topic about well maybe it should not be done right mm -hmm. so where it stands for us in this country american academy of pediatrics says circumcision at least in this country there is no medical benefit but should be made available to those parents who desire the procedure right that's how i understand it more or less more or less there's, there's no different details i mean yeah on the surface that's that's the statement but the but you you keep going and that's what i tell patients yep. And I find that compared to when I was a medical student in the 1980s, I feel like maybe three out of four mm. were boys were circumcised. Yep. Now I think it's more like two out of three. Mm. Definitely there's a downward trend, you know? Yep. Um, but, and then I looked into history of circumcision in Korea. Now I was not circumcised. And that's because- That's the big reveal. Right that's now. the big <laughs> reveal. <laughs> Sean was not circumcised. And because I was not circumcised, I wanted my boys to be circumcised, you know. <laughs> but it ha probably had to do with economics because poor people in Korea were not circumcised. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're not circumcised and you went to military in Korea because in, there's a mandatory three years of service, which I think is a little less now, 
but I think you get circumcised when you get into military because really yeah gee no thank you there's a reason not to join Korean military wow but to change my itinerary <laughs> <laughs> but think about that here's a country long history no circumcision ever probably because we didn't know how anyway but it was never done and then all of a sudden it's done and at some point I want to talk about plastic surgery in Korea because one of the theories because Koreans love plastic surgery okay since, right since when here's a here's a here's yeah. a theory yeah Apparently, during Korean War, American surgeon in Korea studied this eyelid surgery to make upper eyelid double like Westerners mm. rather than like, I mean, I have slanted eyes. This is how I was born. I'm never having, I'm never going under the knife, you know? Yeah. But that's when the trend started. Yeah. So I'm thinking, wow. So 1950s, plastic surgery trend starts and surely before then circumcision. Mm. Whose, whose fault is that? I mean, I love America, right? Yeah. But it's still, damn it, it's it's American influence. Interesting. Yeah, I and mean, I'm going to do a little more research because there is, the, the plastic surgery is, is huge. I mean, when I watch Korean TV show and movies, right? Yeah. I can't really tell what nationality these actors mm -hmm. are. And then you search up on internet, I see these are actors before and after pictures. I mean, it's like, Literally black and white. They've had so many surgeries, but that's what people want, I think. Anyways, I got off the subject, but so that's so, yeah. So that the, the there's you know the two bottom line, both circumcision and plastic surgery are, are, are United States fault. Right? United States fault. Well, plastic surgery comes from comes from within, right? So people wanted to, yeah. So that's interesting. Like they wanted to change their looks to look less Korean. Yeah. You know? um, but there's a lot of. You know, in the United States too, there's a lot of, you know, different ethnic backgrounds that try to look like different ethnic backgrounds sometimes, right? You know, whether it's, you know, changing the color of your skin a little bit or your hair and, you know, and for different reasons. And it's, uh, that's really complicated. I think it is. You know, I'm interested actually, I don't, I don't know, you know the history on um, circumcision in Korea. And I'm wondering what other countries, you know, we can look more into that, like what other countries, if this is an interesting topic, um, have done, done with that or, you know, that which countries have done it. Because United States, yeah, I think, you know, definitely years ago, like when I was younger, it was probably up, up to 70, 75%. I think it dipped a little bit. I think you can, you might be able to pull something up. I think it's probably still around 65 or so, 70%. Yeah. That's my quick guess. And I, and I like to say, I'm not a numbers guy. Like I don't, I don't, like, I, I'm not great at remembering percentages and putting things out of my, you know, whatever, but I have a ballpark. So, yeah, so the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a statement. I forget how many years ago it was. Um, this is 2021, probably about 10 years ago. Uh, that really said, I mean, there is some data to support, um, you know, there's different studies out there that show that there, there can be less STDs or STIs, as we call them now. Well, particularly in Africa, right? Exactly, right. So there are studies that can show that there is less chance of certain infections. Not all STIs are less, some aren't. We mm -hmm. don't know why. But that that goes to maybe like a deeper re thing of uh, not really preventing the infection by circumcising, but preventing the infection by um, by um, you know you know safe practices. So that's so some of these studies I haven't really looked at all all the you know the when we look at studies right we have to really look at how they're done. I, you know are they, they double blinded? You know how's the data collected? Any confounding variables? So there are there are numbers out there that can that could say yeah there's less chance of um, getting certain infections if you're circumcised. I think that 
you know, the, but the American Pediatrics, Pediatrics, as you said, really, basically, the, the policy statement basically says that um, the main reasons to circumcise your child are um, cultural beliefs, religious beliefs, yep. and personal preference. Yeah. So those, those are powerful statements. Sure. No one's going to argue with cultural, religious, yep. right? And and I, and I think this is how where we come from. I'm going to argue with personal. You know. So if someone says I want to circumcise my child because, then that's okay. Because someone, you were done. For whatever reason, yeah. I have I have I have um, I have families in practice where dad is and kids aren't, or yeah. vice versa. And and if someone says, you know, I I don't want to circumcise my child for these reasons, and if the bottom line is personal, then that's 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 just as right. And I think that, I think that that was good for the American Academy of Pediatrics to say, really, whatever you choose is fine, because you can look at this these numbers however you want. You could say, yeah, there's a decrease in infections, the de- decrease in penile cancer, that which is extremely low to begin with. Yeah, but you can look at these numbers all you want, and you can look at the people who are. Uh, anti-circumcision in, in their arguments in terms of how it might you know, affect um, stimulation for the male or how you're removing an unnecessary body part or how there could be you know poor outcomes after circumcision, which is with any surgery, although it's usually a minor surgery. But you can look at these numbers either way, and there's a lot of definitely anti-circumcision, maybe not as much pro, because yeah. people who are doing it are doing it for reasons that you can't argue with. Yeah. So my feeling is it's really important to recognize that, and even more with social media that's out there. You know, There's information out there, and you have to really be careful how you look at it, but you, you do what you feel comfortable with. I mean, I can list the reasons why you should do it, yeah. um, and there, I can list the reasons why you shouldn't do it. Um, but the main reasons are cultural, religious, and what you want to do. It's totally fine. But people can talk about, well, you're moving a body part, a piece of a body part, without talking to your, your child, and how yeah. can you make the decision for them? Well, we do a lot of stuff like that. We pierce kids' ears. Yeah. We take out their wisdom teeth. I mean, I mean, maybe it's maybe bad analogies, yeah. right? But I, I really think, you know, no one's going to argue with someone who's, um, you know, from the religion, not to do it, not you know if they're doing it appropriately, you know, you know, doing performing it correctly, you know, or whatnot. So I, so yeah, but I think it's interesting how influence, and that's probably what happened in America too. Like there's an influence, like of certain people, and people started doing it because it was you know you know people thought it was the right thing to do for different reasons. But I think now we know that really you know, those those are the three big reasons. I was just looking up other countries like Korea, yeah. Philippines, yeah. now similar history. Philippines in 1800s, you know, I think it was under control of Spain and then Spanish-American War, we took over and we have one of the biggest naval bases in the world is in Philippines, right? Yeah. Uh, But boy, looking at this data, like 93% overall prevalence of circumcision. So Philippines and Korea stand out and these are two countries where U.S. played huge role Mm. In doing the um, both, you know, World War One and World War Two, and then after. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah. for me, I come back to my boy. I don't really remember why the first one was circumcised, and then after that, I wanted to make sure the other boys were the same. Okay. So there you go. That's your reason. Yeah. And is that is that wrong? No. You know. I mean, at least my kids. I don't think they'll come back and say, "Dad, gosh darn it, why did you do this to me?" I don't think they'll do that, but. Yeah, the interesting thing would be, you know, one thing to think about is interesting. Like people, kids who who aren't circumcised, who are circumcised, like what's the data on them saying, "Hey, I want my foreskin back." Yeah, right? yeah. And I've had I've had young men who come in and ask and want circumcision. Yeah, um, actually had had a, had a uh, I think an 18, 19 year old who wanted to make an opinion, uh, make a, an appointment with the urologist for a vasectomy. So 
And, uh, wow, that's a powerful. Yeah. So I'm actually, so I actually, he reached out to the office and I said, Can we, I just want to meet and talk with you before you talk to your I just like to, I like to understand your thought process here and why you're doing it, why you want to, you know, think about this. So, so just, that's just a random, random Well, thing. let's stick with the topic. So 18, 19, I'm in legal age, yep. wanting vasectomy. Yeah, we'll say 20. 20. I mean, I have had not a huge number, but probably dozen women in their 20s who asked to have a surgery because they did not want to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. and, and and the reason I bring this up is because these women, they had a hard time finding GYN surgeon. Mm. It's because they, they and I mean, if you're old enough, right? I think you should have that option. It's a very responsible option. And in a way, if they change their mind later, they can still get pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. But at that time, mm -hmm. it could be because maybe a medical reason they cannot be on any medical contraception. Mm -hmm. But I, I find these young women, all of them, I think they were all highly educated, very well spoken. And they said, Chun, I don't ever want to be a mother. Mm -hmm. Can you do this surgery for me? Because I think you're my third or fourth GYN surgeon and others have turned me down. Mm. Um, and then you're, it's funny that you bring that up, a yeah. young person. I've never had that before, but yeah. I'm interested to talk to him. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very mature decision. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're adults. Yeah. Right. And if they were younger, of course, you know, that's when you have to kind of figure out the thought process behind it because if they're not, you know, of, of age where they can make that decision. Uh, but, you know, what is a 20 year old versus a 17 year old? But I think that they have the ability to make that decision. That's a powerful decision. And what you said, like, I, I'm not all about like, one thing about me um, is that I don't, I'm not crazy about things that are final, like finality, right? Yeah. So once it happens, you can't reverse it or change it. It's gone. No, it's tough, right? Death, right? It's done. On, you know what death. vasectomy no death, death. oh okay. death done death gone done. Yeah, yeah gone let's not compare death to vasectomy uh -huh. um, um but for some yeah it is. But, but so when something happens you can't reverse it um depending on you know why you did it whatnot you know so hopefully it's a good decision and yeah. i and, and i you know i think all these procedures have a lot of value um and uh but you would just, i think like you said this uh it could be a very mature decision it has to be you know well thought out I mean, for both, I mean, we are deviating from our original topic, but both for men and women, yeah. these procedures are, in a way, we counsel them as if they are permanent, but they're not. I mean, I had vasectomy and I had twins after. This is like, the, is it just keeps on coming from you. No. <laughs> you were, you excuse me. So, no, actually, so, I, so you, so repeat that last, you, you had and you, you still had twins. So, so I was um, done with work. On this Friday, and I and my um, wife was pregnant with our third one, right? Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I didn't really think about it, but I, I was in the mood to have vasectomy done. So I called the local urologist and I said, "Hey, um, I know it's almost five o'clock. Where yeah. are you right now? What state? Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. So just at five o'clock on a Saturday, <laughs> on a Friday, we call it. Ah, you know, December. Oh. I say, hey, um, I'm in the mood for vasectomy." And he goes like now, yeah, right now. Let me. Did you did you, did you know this physician? Yeah, okay. yeah. So I knew, I knew he had good hands, of course, no. because not it's all. Like it's, like a, it's like a crank phone Jesus. call. Like, I went to God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, "Okay, come over, five minute drive, and I'm on the table, local. I had earbuds and listening. Fifteen minutes later, I had vasectomy, and then um um, and I realized I should have something cold between my legs, right." And I didn't really want to go into a, 
a grocery store and get a bag of frozen peas. So I stopped at a nearby gas station, got a bag of ice, and it was wintertime. And I forgot that I had car, you know, the seat warmer on. So by the time I got home, the whole seat was like wet. And I think because I was, I mean, I put up a good front, but still surgery, surgery. Yeah. I just had snip and, you know, and, and it was funny. And then I, I, um, this is where I didn't make a very good husband because I walk into the house and say, honey, guess what I did today? And, 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 you and she said, well, how you was your tw- day, honey? Tw- 20 questions. Yeah, how was your day a- today? Yeah. I, I, um, I had a vasectomy. And I remember there was like a silent, some little silent pause before yeah. she said, what? Oh, yeah. I mean, we weren't going to have any more kids anyway. Mm. So I just did it. Saved mm. the trouble. So I'm going to treat me like a king for, for the next few days, which she did. And mm. I was back to work Monday. But fast forward later. No, no, no. Listen, I want to rewind. <laughs> so what, what was the time frame between you walking out of the office, singing your song about vasectomies to the time you actually were done with the procedure? I mean, actual procedure, I think like 15, 20 minutes. That's, like, that's very spontaneous. Yeah, I, I'm I just, actually surprised your mm-hmm. routers didn't have you give you a cold beer to put between your legs after that procedure. I, I mean, know. you just called him up <laughs> on a, on a Friday. Um, we, but we, we might want to call this um, these shows, but we digress. I mean, that, that's a great story. <laughs> so I tell patients, you know, vasectomy as a procedure is simpler, mm-hmm. less mm-hmm. risk of complication, mm-hmm. and reversible uh, rate is higher than the female procedure. Especially now we do a, in the past where we used to put either um, plastic clip, metal clip, or burn the middle of fallopian tube, yep. that fallopian tube, that bridge between the uterus or the sperms and the, and the ovary yep. for fertilization to take place. But now we remove entire tubes. We do it differently because the risk of cancer relates mm. to fallopian tube. So but, is that reversible? What? That when you remove the fallopian tube. You, right. No, a, a once the fallopian tube is removed, done. then yeah. you have to go through in, in, uh, exactly. in vitro. Yeah. But um, when I tell patients, you know, uh, when patient says, doc, I want to have a surgery to a permanent sterilization, I always say, you know, you should talk to your husband or your partner. Like because, you did. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I say, you know, vasectomy is preferred method for me, even though I don't get paid. Good for you. Yeah, because it's better for my patients. That's you've yeah. done enough. You've done enough with the four kids, two kids, or three. Have vasectomy. So how many how many patients call you Chun? They call you Doctor Chun, Chun, Bill, Doctor Bill. What do they call you? People who, after a while, they usually end up. Probably half of my patients call me Bill. The other half, Doctor Chun. Some patients really have hard time calling me by first name. It's just not proper for them. Mm. You know. Yeah. Um, I don't really care. I'm some people. I mean, few people call me Chun. Yeah. I hear that as almost like a terms of endearment. Yeah. You know. But what about you? You call it Doctor Geller. Um, I, I I'm not big on the doctor title, but for a lot of my patients, like you said, it's um it is just like a title they call you, and it's yeah. out, of, out of respect. Um, I feel like I should I call any doctor in the office doctor back if they call me doctor, maybe. Yeah. Um, especially and uh, but it's almost like a nickname for me, like yeah. doc, doc Geller. Um, I don't mind Geller. Yeah. I don't in in patients. I often will if I message a patient, maybe through the patient portal. You yeah. know, in the my chat or even by an email, I often will sign it Dave. You know, or actually, I sign it usually D Geller. I don't sign Doctor Geller. I don't sign Dave. I say D Geller. And they can, I, I sign, and, they, and they can make we can make that they can make that what they want. They can call you know. I don't want to be too formal, so I keep it kind of simple. I sign my name B Chun. Yeah. Because it's too long, so I just sign B Chun. I should be D Gell. 
Miguel. Dr. Homie G, that oh, dad no. used to call me. I like that one too. I'll, I'll take anything. So, uh, but Geller's good. Yeah. Geller and, then, and Chun. Chun and Geller. As long as they don't call me China man. If someone calls me China man, I might say no English, you know. But yeah, I mean, the interaction I have with patients, I think you have the same issue, the same approach. This is why I think patients um, look for us in that we are able to communicate with our patients really well. Mm. Um, and, and I want to be able to really listen mm. and I want to be heard. Um, but I, I mean, you, you are very casual about the way you're dressed. I'm always in my jeans and mm. a scrub top and, and a cap. So if one did not, if I don't have my scrub top with my name on, it yeah. looks like I'm a sushi chef, you know, <laughs> but I always dress like that. And I think that really makes people at ease mm -hmm. and, and we talk and before long, I mean, people are calling me Bill or Chun and I don't care. It really, I, I don't need to be called doctor. Exactly. You know? Yeah, I'm not one to sign things, Dr. Geller. I don't no. need a license plate with Dr. Geller on. Like, no. That's just like, I used to I used to get my hair cut all the time and people said, what do you do for work? And I said, oh, I'm a pediatrician. And then I was like, oh, I'm a pediatrician. So now they ask me, what do you do for work? And I say, oh, I work in a doctor's office. I, I, <laughs> I know, just be humble about it, right? You know? It's, it, it's like, it's like yeah, everybody needs to be called doctors and you and me, like, we don't care. I mean, when I was working out at like YMC or Taekwondo lessons, some people that, you know, what do you do? Some, sometimes I say, I'm a student. Now I look too old to be a student. Maybe I say, hey, I work in a Chinese restaurant. I don't really want to start the conversation yeah. about what I do yeah. because we go to these places to really get lost. Yeah. I don't want to have to talk about my work and, oh, you're OBGYN, huh? How is it affecting your sex life? Yeah. You know, you get that kind of question like, Jesus. I don't know. I just had a vasectomy. I was, <laughs> I, I was channeling you. I, just, I haven't gone there yet. So. so, well, so you have three daughters, huh? Yep. I always said if I had two daughters, I would have stopped. I would have <laughs> definitely gotten a vasectomy. Yeah, girls, you know? girls. I mean, I'm I'm happy with three girls. I take I take three more. I take three more. You know, girls, kids, kid, girls, kids, yeah. boys. But you know, I have to respect that that my wife is uh, Jen is is home doing most of the work sometimes. But yeah, you know, I I uh, it's, it's uh, no, it's all good. Yeah, girls girls are great. You know, and uh, boys are great. I, I often say that that there isn't anything that you can't do with a girl that you could do with a boy, but there's no, but there's some stuff you can do with a girl that you, there's things that you can do with a, most things you can do with a boy, you can do with a girl, but there's yeah. stuff you can do, you can, can do with a girl that you can't do with a boy, you know? And, uh, but I think that, you know, having just a healthy child, whatever, you know, whatever gender, you know, sex they are is awesome. How uh, old were you when you, uh, first one was born? Well, you, so again, I'm numbers guy. So Hannah was born 1997 and I was, and I was born 1968. Wow, my son was born. My first one was born in '97. Really? What month? Um, October first. Oh, yeah. I beat you. Mine was born in June. What hospital? Uh, oh, with Boston City, you said. Oh, uh, New England Medical Center. Tufts. Good. Yeah, I mean, we um, picked a colleague of ours who was a fellow when I was a resident, and I think both of us, being physician uh, OBGYNs, we yep. needed someone with kind of like stern you know, who knew how to talk to us. He's like, stay in the corner there, Chan. Yeah. Don't, don't say a word. And, and, and she was just the right person. That's great. And New England Medical Center actually, I think is a hidden gem. It's right in Chinatown, beautiful maternity. Um, staff attendings, a lot of them are excellent. Um, I remember, you know, because now I'm 
after years of delivering, um, I'm a patient. Mm. And each time what I've done is, you know, the fetal heart rate monitor, I turn it around and I mute it. So I don't look at it. I just, you know, I, I'm not, I don't participate because I don't want to raise anxiety for my wife, mm -hmm. myself, because I have a doctor. Yeah. And I picked the doctor that I trusted. So, but I will say when it came for the epidural, um, I think a resident came in and said, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm here for an epidural. And I said, excuse me, I don't mean to offend you in any way, but both of us are OBGYNs. Would you mind bringing your attending? Hmm. Because I didn't want a resident to practice on my wife. Mm -hmm. You know how we learn. So, so we have. The, so let's think about the uh, the, uh, the hierarchy here, right? In, yeah. Uh, in, in 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 a teaching hospital. So where we are, we have a we have, we have a plethora in, in Boston, right? Of teaching hospitals, right? And you know, and I'm not going to be able to list them all, but some of the big ones with deliveries are on the Brigham Women's Hospital, right? Beth Israel Hospital, Boston City Hospital. Mass General Hospital. Yeah. These are the big teaching hospitals and um, floating hospital or Tufts Medical yeah. Center, right? So so we all start off and we, we finish our med school, right? We got a four years of undergrad. We got a four years of medical school, right? Although some people, they go to BU Med, right? It right. used to be a six-year program. Right. But now it's seven years. So you do your four years undergrad, four years med school. And then if you keep on this, like I said, the conveyor belt of medicine, then you do your internship and residency, right? So most of us, it's like three years, if I'm correct, right? For four. Four. Pediatrics, it was three. So you did OBGYN yeah. is four. So the first year is internship, right? And then your next year is a residency. Yeah. And after that, um, if you're if you're you know specialized, um, you know you may you may still do a fellowship, right? Yeah. Which is on top of your residency right. and different fellowships, cardiology, um, you know, different types of surgery, uh, neurosurgery, neurosurgery, yeah, yeah, nose and throat, um, ophthalmology, blah blah blah. And that's another fellowship which could be anywhere from what two to three, four years sometimes. Yeah. And then you're a doctor, and then you're in what we call an attending, right? Yeah. A head doctor. So you walk in, you're Bill Chun now. You're an attending. So you had a resident or an intern or a resident. So a, Res at least a second year, second year resident, at least a second year coming in to do your wife's procedure, and you were like, yeah, no. How, yeah. no. Would you accept it a third year or a fourth year senior, like the top no, senior resident? No, because, you know, the thing is, in 90s, yeah. you know how it was. I mean, we just... So we have like Boston City Hospital, right? Where yeah. we, I went to med school, where I met you. Like we were as med students, yeah. third and fourth year med students doing these procedures. <laughs> and that's what, so it's like this, it's catch 22. And unfortunately, the, maybe the patients we were doing it on didn't have a choice, but that's where we learn. That's why, that's why Boston City was so awesome for mm -hmm. us. And, uh, but yeah, no, it, it's, you want someone, you know, experienced enough. And sometimes, like I recently had, actually my, my, my wife actually, um, recently broke her ankle and she was at Newton Wellesley Hospital, a wonderful community hospital. And the person who who actually reduced her um, reduced her fracture in the emergency room you know, prior to being splinted to go see the orthopedic a day later was a resident. And she said, honestly, you know, because my wife's had a lot of different, um, she's a huge athlete, a lot of different um, injuries over the years, especially on her feet. And she, we, I was really hoping for the highest level person to, to do this. 
is a community hospital. You know, her main surgeon is at Mass General. Yeah. An amazing man, Dr. Theodore. Um, and I could, I could talk about him for hours, like yourself. He's a great, amazing physician. And the resident, the high-level resident said, you know, I do these more than anybody. I'm the one who's doing these every day, not the attendings. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really the one, I'm actually, honestly, I'd be honest with you if I wasn't, but you're the one, you, I'm the one that should do this. Yeah. She did it beautifully, right? Yeah. So, but you have to be careful. You have, you want to, you don't want to be there, they say in July, right? When, yeah. when, when the new interns come in and they were just like a day before med students and now they're doctors, right? So you want to make sure you get the right person. You know, you bring up a good point because we, you were a medical student. I was in residency before cell phone, right? <laughs> and here we are. Now there are so many red tape that I feel for these med students. I mean, med students at, at Winchester Hospital, they're not getting the relation, the experience that you got at back in, you know, Metro West Hospital in the 90s mm. because they do more of observation mm. than actual hands-on. But feel that like OBGYN, you got to get your hands dirty. Yeah. I mean, I was taught how to do circumcision as a medical student by a pediatrician in Columbus. And I thank God I was taught because when I started my internship, I was told by chief resident, hey, Chun, go do that circumcision. I'm like, okay, I just go do it. Yeah. Call me if you need help. I'm like, thank God mm. I knew how to do it because I was taught as a medical student. But now these kids, they don't get that. Yeah. But the duration of training is the same. Yep. So what's happening is they're not getting enough hands-on. Yep. So I really believe that at least for OBGYN, rather than four years, I think it has to be extended because in order to take care of women, see what, what a lot of people don't realize is Dr. Smith, she may be lovely, very calm, collected and all that, but coming out of residency, and if this is the first or second era, she's still very green. Yep. She cannot do all the whole spectrum of mm. OBGYN procedures, mm. you know? And this is where I, you know, I had mentioned before, when I, when I, if I grade pediatricians, you know, a lot of pediatricians are like Bs, B plus, B minus, Bs, some As, you know, like you, I give you A plus. Thank okay, you. I give you A plus. Thank you. But OBGYN, it goes from A to F, mm. you know? So the whole thing is the training is really... Yeah, training is important, but it's, it's interesting because <clears> you know, what, you, what you're doing like I'm really thinking about this on the fly. Is what you're doing so importantly? You need to have the experience before you get out because it's you know a lot of stuff that I'm doing. Um, I need to know a, a before, um, and I learned so much after. You know, it, it, being on the job, being a parent, um, I would I would be nice to have learned it before. But you could kind of navigate your way and, and learn your way uh, as you went, for, you know, because you really learned, you learned what was most important getting out. But for someone who does you know, procedures and surgery and, and delivering babies, I mean, you need that. You need that experience. I mean, you know, OB, we are, if OBGYN, benign OBGYN like myself, we are expected to deliver babies vaginally mostly then mm -hmm. and by C-section. But I also remove the uterus mm -hmm. using a robot. So in my mind, if I want to fly on a commercial airline, I just want to make sure the pilots are at least in their 30s, you know, 30s and 40s. I want to make sure that pilot can deal with any unpredicted, unpredictable weather, especially if it's going to be like four hours or longer. I don't want somebody who is 
you know, barely drinking age. And, and people don't think about that. People just really have to understand. This is where I come back to, especially OBGYN and, and then after the pediatrician. Yeah, but it's interesting because like when, when, how do you get that experience? Like when I came out of residency, I thought I, I was, I, I was prepared as, as I thought I could be, but I didn't know, I, I really didn't know all the stuff there was to learn. I mean, I'm learning stuff every day still about things and you're not going to learn that till you're on the job. But I was that new pediatrician who was as young as you could be and, and that I was that young doctor and, uh, but, but I felt that was experienced, not in a, not, not, not in a pompous way, but it's amazing how much there is to know of what we do and, and like, how do you learn that, right? How do you I think what that? has to happen is um, the whole medical school, I mean, I think first of all, medical school should be free, number one, and the, the whole training should be done differently. Um, and someone has to figure out because we need more doctors, more providers, mm -hmm. nurse practitioners, PAs, nurses, midwives, and we have to make sure that training is proper and that it is not half a million dollars to be a doctor because a lot of qualified young minds are not going to go into medicine, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But the training has to be totally revamped. Yeah. It's at least for OBGYN. I can't, I mean, my only daughter, I want to make sure she goes to right OBGYN. And so I referred to her, her to a colleague of mine who I know is seasoned. Mm -hmm. She's been doing this for, I think, well over 10 years. Yep. So very seasoned, smart, mm -hmm. and a good surgeon. Yep. But how does a lay person mm -hmm. moving into a new city yep. figure out how to do it? It's, it's tough, right? It's tough, yeah. But uh, coming, so I think it, it really comes down to doing some homework. Yep. But um, where I encourage people to do meet and greet for OBGYN, I yeah. also encourage that with a pediatrician because yeah. I think if I'm um, dealing with a pediatrician, I'm in a new town or first baby, I want to like, I'll have a bunch of questions. Mm. What do I do at 10 o'clock on Saturday? Where do I go if I need yeah. to take my kid? Yeah. Is that, are you the only one I'll be seeing? Or are there like seven of you? So only visit I have with you is for well visit, which is like twice a year, once a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff people don't know. Yeah. No, I think it's so important to get to know your provider and trust your provider. We talked about that a little bit before. And uh, no, it's, uh, you know, we, 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 you want, you want to be taken care of by the best. And um, yeah, so it's, it's always, it's important to find that people and hope that person that you would hope that with any, you know, training, any training mechanism for anybody, whatever it is, not you know, you know, not you know, whether it's your electrician or your OBGYN or your accountant, you hope that they're on top of the game, you know, and uh, and, and and they all have value. So, I was sneaking at my phone because I had like three, four text messages. I want to make sure. Are you on call right now? I'm always on call. Yeah. We do. I, we know we we could do. I could take one of those calls for you if you want. Yeah, go for, ahead. You know, like the old days. <laughs> let me just call. Let me, let me just call my 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 uh, my my OBGYN fellow. That's you. I'll call, yeah. call my head yeah. doctor. Call me. So from your week this week, you know, it's, we're midweek right now. Yeah. Any any like any like amazing office stories saying that or anything anything that that, that happened to you in the past week or so? Something that maybe yeah, like, I um good moment. I I want to talk about this. Um, so I had a delivery. I slept in the hospital and I had a delivery this morning, but in between, I don't know, five o'clock in the morning or something, I was reading a 
Facebook. And one of our patients, <coughs> excuse me, um, posted something about, you know, chronic condition. I mean, here's a person who, if you look at her, she looks great. She looks very fit, but she has a chronic medical condition. And it's hard to deal with anything chronic. Um, and she was just talking about that there are many chronic conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, Raynaud's, and others where it's not something that people are feeling comfortable talking about. And sometimes I think what she was trying to say is she has a hard time connecting with a provider, primary care. And um, the story was interesting in that she asked that could you possibly um, um, post this? And I did. I read that. Yeah, yep. right? Yeah. And I mean, this is just one, but, and this person was courageous enough to post something on Facebook, but I wonder when I read, when I read this, there must be tons of people who don't have an outlet to really share what's going on physically, mentally, and whatnot, you know? Um, but I think it's important, and I try to tell this person that it's not so much that she has the answers, but I keep asking questions, mm. looking for direction. Um, so I try to post something on Facebook here and there, and it's not always exciting deliveries or whatnot, but I feel like this person really represented a huge number of people who are looking for someone to listen to mm. them. You know, mm -hmm. so it's interesting because as 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 uh, doctors, maybe as 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 uh, husbands, you know, we feel like we need to fix things, right? Like somebody has a problem, and we and we feel like we have to fix it, right? And and some and lot and I've learned that when you ask somebody a question in the office, you know, how are things going? How's sleep going with your yeah. child? And they and they and they tell me everything about the sleep. They don't always want me to tell them what to do. Yeah. They don't want me to fix the problem. They just want me to listen. And I've learned that, you know, and and that we don't always have to have the answers, but we yeah. it's, it's, that's really you know, that's powerful. And and I think that as as physicians taking care of, you know, we I think we you know we're not um, maybe our specialties don't always you know lend that we're taking care of people with chronic conditions, but we see people with chronic conditions a lot. Sometimes they go to different, see different specialists, you know, for, for different things. But we have to, you know, we have to. We can always um, empathize. We can sympathize, and, and we can listen, and we can guide, and we can support. And that's that's a huge role. It's like, you know, it, just being a support person is important. Just being part of the team is important, and not always having the answers is okay. And knowing that we can help them find the answers, you know, there's not always a solution to everything, yeah. even in medicine, unfortunately. That's kind of scary sometimes. But, you know, we hopefully we can all help people be on that path to, to, to improving somehow. I think years ago, maybe not even too long ago, if I had a patient whose weight was significantly too high, let's mm -hmm. say 5'3", and she weighed 270, I may have been one of those doctors who said, you know, you got to do ABCs because health is important. Now, I don't really do that as much as if, especially if the patient says, I want to lose weight, then rather than telling them what to do, I'm now saying, why? 
why do you think you want to lose weight? And I asked them, you know, because if Oprah Winfrey, multi-zillionaire with personal chef, trainer, therapist, and God knows how much money she has, if she cannot keep her weight steady, then many of us don't have a chance in hell. So the question then becomes why? And I do the same thing with the smokers. You know, smokers, I don't tell them to stop smoking because they know more about smoking than I do. And it's always becomes not not knowing, it's knowing and doing. Hmm. And many of us have that gap between knowing and doing. Yeah. But a lot of, um, as I get older, I feel like, you know, I, I really do feel like I could probably see a patient, maybe two, three patients a day, just talking. Because what I'm, maybe now that I'm older, I'm seeing my patients differently. Mm-hmm rather than just being really objective about pain, is it endometriosis, is it fibroid? But sometimes they may come with that, but they're maybe underlying something else, right? Because I really think, at least in women's health, we're not looking for that underlying psychosocial or something that really are not being addressed. Mm. And I felt like that may have been the case when I read that post today. Mm. And I just said, hey, if there's anything I can do, let me know. And it's on her to reach out to me. But it, it's hearing or listening to patients is something that I feel I'm better at now than maybe 20 years ago. You know? Um, and I think that comes with experience. Yeah. And how many thousands of people have we dealt with? Right? But still, we're, we're still learning. Yeah, no, that's powerful. You know, I um, I often look back at, you know, like you rate me high. I appreciate that. I rate you high, and I hope I know you appreciate that. But I think we can always, we can, I can do better. And I'm always looking back at different interactions and what could I've done differently, and how could I have, you know, been better. You know, whether it's just body language or or treatment plans or listening. And I think that um, it's funny as we age right you look you look at you you look you look back and it's funny because i i i love seeing a lot of patients yeah uh and i like seeing them but in a way way it doesn't seem like a lot of patients right so because um, i want i want to touch as many patients i want to have as many interactions as i can um, but i want them all to be quality interactions yeah and uh so it's it's it's, it's so like I, I would like, like yeah like I just want to. I just want to. I, I want to. I just want to have as many interactions, good ones, as I can, without without jeopardizing, you know, the care in the, in the interaction. So it's, but it's a, uh, you know, it's it's a great perspective, you know, to 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 make, to to make what you do enjoyable and meaningful, and however we do it, and it's what keeps us going. You know, this platform we have, Patient Portal. I think it is unique because both of us um, educated and trained in very unique time. On top of that, we're both self-employed. And at least according to other people, we are competent. We are good at what we do. We are still fairly popular. We're both parents. And we are at that age where we have had experience. And there's nothing like experience. Experience in life, experience as a physician. And I think with everything that is being said talked about around us, I do feel what two of us say on different matters should matter. It should account for something. 
because we're not in our 20s. We're not in our 30s. We are, what are you, 50-something? Let's, yeah. let's not talk about this yeah. anymore. That is so important. Yeah. We take, I mean, I want to say us as, 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 a, as a team, what we say it can go up against anyone. And I think that's what patient polar is going to be. Yeah. And each week we'll have different stuff to talk about, how the week went and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm rambling because I haven't had much sleep. No, this is great. This is, this is, this, no, this is this is how we function. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, it's, it, we, we we talk about what we we'll talk about what matters and uh, we express our opinions and our our experience. And uh, yeah, no, it's important. These are all all, all great things. All, this is a great conversation. So, if listeners like how we do things, then we encourage you to subscribe and look for our upcoming episodes.